welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves of Nam, where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded, Land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Today I'm talking to Natalie Jefferson. Nat is passionate about food and keen to share that passion with others. After years in kitchens in Melbourne and London and a long stint running her own cafe, Nat has taken a sidestep into the kitchen of our food studies department at school. You can imagine my reaction when she was introduced at a staff meeting as the new food studies assistant and former chef. <laughs> I made a beeline to talk to her. Recently, my year seven French classes have been learning about food and ordering in a restaurant, and we took them down to the food studies department for a tasting session, which they, of course, loved. Nat and the food studies teacher, Jenny, did a glorious job bringing food vocabulary to life and leading the students through eating with the senses, as well as some interesting facts about the various dishes. Food really does bring people together, and it brings so much joy. And that's what Nat loves about hospitality, cooking for others, and now she's sharing that with students. Hi Nat. Hello Joe. how are you? Yeah, good thank you, and how are you? I'm good. Well let's just situate ourselves, so we're yeah. sitting uh, down in the beautiful food studies department mm -hmm. at Camberwell Girls. Yeah. Um, which is nice. I feel like I'm doing a bit of, you know, co-curricular but co-life because yeah, <laughs> I brought my outside life yeah. into yes. my school life. Yeah. Um, but I was really keen to talk to you because um, you're so passionate about food. Yes. And I know that you have obviously have a background in um, hospitality, and now you're here, lucky yes. for us. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to know where it all started and. I guess what your journey has been. Yeah, so where, absolutely. Did you always know you wanted to work with food? And I grew up in a household, uh, you know, with a very passionate um, mum. Mum cooked all the time, but mum also would buy. Um, she'd buy magazines, food magazines, and she would just try different things every week. So she was very adventurous. Um, she was a classic home trained cook so you know I came home to Amy Johnson's slice you know which is an old-fashioned slice that she would have in her Tupperware it was like a, a lemon cake with um, with jam and layers of jam and currants and and lemon icing and she would um, she would make those old classic classics um, which later on I'll talk about but um, they all went into part of my menu in, into my cafe a lot mm. of those classics as well so I grew up with food all the time and she would also take me to restaurants oh wow yeah so yeah. mum would quite often say you know let's drive to sydney oh and, and here's a here's a, a a restaurant that's opened up let's go and have you know a meal there um and i mean i was very lucky i was very yeah. privileged and lucky to be able to do that and she would just encourage this side that i had um and also encourage that you know that side mother daughter side too um where we could relate yeah. as well at that teenage years they were pretty strict parents yeah so food always brought us together at home 
Um, so that's how it started, I yeah, suppose, wow. the, the passion. Yes. And I would cook. I would cook meals, like, most nights of the week. Or I would do salads and things. I would, wow. I would just want to do it. Yeah. I just enjoyed it. it my, I guess you've, you know, you got that from your mum, but what is it about food and, and cooking for people that you do enjoy? Well, I think, I think that sort of... I always loved doing things for other people. I think that was just inbuilt in me. I think I was born like that. And it continues, you can see, it continues on still into my life. Um, And I think food um, is a beautiful way that you can pass on gratitude to people and and enjoyment and it it just brings people together and it's fun. Mm. so, you know, my early life at, at home um, really developed that interest in cooking. Um, and then I was at school, I went to Wesley, um, and they had home ec. Um, and we, you know, I, I just loved it. I was good at it and I loved it much more than the academic side of things. I just enjoyed it. And I can see that in the students here at Cam- Camboyle Girls. Um, you know, they relax, they um, have fun, they um, can be creative and they can just let their shoulders sort of mm. down and, and just, if, if it comes naturally, you know, there's a space here where they can just flourish. Um, and some students really do have that ability to just, you know, fly. They mm. can multitask and they, you can see right from early on that they get it, they just get it. So do you think that's really interesting because I love cooking but I feel like I didn't have much of a background in that. Mm. I, I did do a lot of the cooking at home just because mum um, wasn't a good cook yes, yeah. <laughs> and didn't have much interest in it. I mean she had definitely had her dishes that she did and, yes. and we, ate, we ate well but yeah. it was she, yeah. very early on she was keen for me to take over and yeah. I did. Um, but I feel like when I've been... I did some um, volunteering at Fair Share for mm, a while. Right. And then, and when you have an actual chef who shows you techniques, I was like, just, oh. Just little tricks. Yeah. Because I don't think I'm very practical. So, mm. But do you think some people just are or aren't? Or is yes. It about, oh, okay. Some people get it. They yeah. do. Um, yeah. But then I have students in here that have never picked up a knife. I don't know how to, how to cut. Yeah. And they're scared. Yes. Um, and once you show them a, a little trick and a technique, or even just peeling a carrot, so many students will peel a carrot towards them and not away from them. Yeah, little yeah. things like that yeah. that just can make it safer for them and then they feel comfortable. Mm. And it's like anything, practice. It's just practice. Yeah. You know? um, but, you know, there's, there's constantly always, like, it's funny when I have um, friends come over and, and do a little bit of cooking with me, I'll, I'll just say, I'll oh, just do it like, you know, why don't you do it like that? And they'll go... Never thought of that. That's so easy. Yes. So easy. Why didn't I think of that? Why don't you have a jar of sweet chilli in the fridge and just, you know, use that yeah. for the month instead of making up the dressing each time? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so logical things like that just come very easy. Mm. Um, and I guess once I went, I, I finished high school and um, I remember sitting in the careers counsellor and, and them pretty much saying, well, what are you going to do? Because, you know, all these pathways that are offered to you, which is nothing like what the students get now, they're not suiting you and your passions. And I had no other options. So my mum actually looked up a restaurant in Melbourne that were a um, kind of like an ambassador for a, a hotel management school. Oh. Yeah, in Switzerland. Oh. So I actually went to Switzerland and did hotel management. What? Yeah. So I, I did a year at uni. That's in, amazing. In sciences. Yeah. And went, I, I just can't do this anymore. This is not for me. And 
mum said, well, check this course out. Now, there was nothing, there was no internet at all. We couldn't research anything. Mum basically saw an ad in a paper and said, what about we go talk to this lady? And then this lady just pretty much sent me off to Montreux. So, what? yeah, so, so I did hotel management. Wow. And of course, the facets of hotel management are front of house, kitchen, mm. um, and then, you, you know, back of house sort of operations. So the three sections. And of course, the food side of it, I absolutely loved. Mm. And you do a stage as part of your training. So you go into, it's like work experience, and you go in and work in a hotel. And I did that in London. And I, I loved the cooking side of it, but I hated working in hotels. They were just, yeah. it was production line. Like, but, but, you know, you were cooking French classic food, but I just knew that I needed to learn how to cook properly and I needed to do an apprenticeship. Mm. So that's when I started writing to restaurants in Melbourne. This is back in early 90s. Mm. Um, and applying for, I wrote to hundreds of restaurants in Melbourne to, um, to apply for a, an apprenticeship. And I was a little bit older as well. Um, so I was probably a bit more mature. Um, in what I was thinking where I was going and I pretty much I wrote to restaurants I got two trials one was at um, one was actually at Lynch's back in the day where I shucked oysters all day and went oh my gosh really you know is that what I'm going to be doing yeah (laughs) and my hands were just raw like I'm talking about 15 hours of just shucking oysters all day that's what they made me do which is fine you know I coped with it but I went oh I don't think I want to work for these people and then I actually got a call back from Walter Burke who owned Walter's Wine Bar Maria and Walters and he I did a trial and he said you can start tomorrow wow and that was it I didn't have a choice he he said you want the job you start tomorrow and enrolled me in Preston TAFE and I started my apprenticeship yeah. So, and he was not a trained chef, but he was a very creative, clever man. Yeah. And Maria and Walters was a little restaurant in Rathdown Street in Carlton. Oh. And he was a ballet dancer, he and his wife, and they Gosh. opened up this restaurant. So he taught himself to cook and he opened this restaurant that was very classic, very, yeah. you know, velvet chairs and beautiful... Where, where was it in relation to, say, La Luna or... Uh, further down towards yeah. the Commission Flats. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah um, down near... What's the... Oh, yeah, it's right opposite the Commission Flats, a little bit further towards the city, mm. halfway to the city um, on the left. I'm trying to think of... There is, a, there is a, a, an Italian restaurant, I'll think of the name for you, Joe. Um, that is possibly still there. Yeah. Um, anyway, I worked with Walter. I was... He took me on as a mature age, so I actually um, sort of skipped first year and became a second year apprentice. And I ran this restaurant kitchen with Walter and one of the one other chef, who was very clever. So when you say classic, are we what what kind of food? Were so you we're talking about? seafood quenelles, oh. and uh, you know, with uh, champagne sauce. And because Gosh. he was Walter, Walter was very passionate about. I mean, he's one of the first goat's cheese makers in Melbourne, so he would we would get goats milk delivered through the back laneway and pumped into the bath out the back and we'd make goat's cheese this is cinematic yeah it was so (laughs) so crazy it was like nothing like it was very he wasn't like you know um back then you know the stephanie's um who i worked for later on in my apprenticeship and um and walter were you know they they were self-taught Mm. Um, and they were passionate, clever, and it was the start of a, um, you know, we were in a, a time in Melbourne where nothing was bought in. Breads, you made bread yourself. You, um, 
you know, quinces were coming in, uh, you know, anti-pasto platters were just starting to happen. It was a real turning point in food. There were no, no one did breakfast, you know. Um, so it was very classic restaurants. You mm. went for dinner and you had a beautiful meal. And this is what Walter was all about. And right. he also was very passionate about wine, obviously, which is when he went on to, to run Walter's Wine at Southgate. And every dish had a, a, a wine or a champagne base in it. So, you know, we would make souffles every night. Um, passion fruit souffles, I remember. We do them to order in a copper, you know, a copper bowl with a whisk. Um, Amazing. I have memories of just thinking, I, I want to die because my arm's killing me from whisking by hand. But you made your own ice cream, you know. Is there a technique for whisking? I'm just thinking about the copper. Yeah, you've got to use your wrist. Yeah, but can't use your so arm. So in um, the, the Mont Saint-Michel in, yes. in France, they mm. have this mer poulard, oh, yes. and she makes these omelettes, but Apparently, they say that they do a figure of eight. Yes, that, yeah, do, yeah. We, we, we were taught figure of eight. Cool, that feels figure very... of eight. I know, I know. <laughs> and you use your wrist. You don't use your arm because if you get a sore arm, then you're not doing it right. So you've right. got to use your wrist. But of course, if you're an apprentice, it's like um, yeah. those muscles are not developed. Um, and you develop as you cook. You develop these mu- arm muscles, chopping, um, even standing. You know, you just develop. Like people say, how do you stand yeah, for do 14, you? 15 hours a day? You just do. You yeah. just learn to. Well, you learn to, you know, spread your legs apart while you're, while you're um, standing at chopping board if you're tall or raise your chopping board. You learn yeah. little techniques to help you, just like in any industry. Yeah. Um, but you just do it. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, I, used to, I used to work six days a week for Walter. Mm. Sometimes he'd forget to pay me. Sorry, Walter, but um, mm. he would. And, you know, it was tough. And you would go to trade school on your day off. And then you'd go and work that night. Yeah. So that was your day off. How long were you there? I was there for two years with Walter. Mm. And then I, um, I moved, because he, he actually closed Maria and Walter's down and opened up Walter's Wine Bar. So I, I did work for a very short period of time at Walter's Wine Bar, um, but I, it was a different scale. It was when Southgate first opened and it, you know, we were doing pre-theatre, we were doing 200 covers. Then we do dinner same amount and then we do post theatre so you're doing about six or seven hundred covers a day and it's a different scale so he was starting to buy cakes in um that's not the story because he encouraged me to to start my own cake business from home Mm. so I used to supply him cakes um I was always entrepreneurial like I always had I always took on a lot more responsibility than I was I was probably you know my job was my role involved but I, I just naturally did it I had a a father who owned Jefferson Ford, you know, he, he was a businessman. He was self-made and mm. has 400 people working for him now. Mm. Um, so I grew up in a family of business-minded, um, uh, passionate cook. And you can see the combination just was really good for me as a fit when I bought yeah. my first business. And when was that? So, well, I, I started Natalie's Cakes to start with, which oh. I did from home. In those days, you could do it from home. There was yeah. no tax, no GST, no health department checks, you know. And Walter said, just start making cakes for, for the wine bar. And he threw me into it, and I just delivered cakes all over Melbourne, up into the Dandenongs. It was such a big learning curve, because I was also working full-time at Walter's and also doing <laughs> Natalie's Cakes. You can see yeah. that was just my... Yeah. I was very driven in that area of um, just trying different things. And you can see I'm not afraid to probably try things. Mm. Um, And I think as a business person, you need to just not overthink things and just go for it Mm. sometimes. 
Um, and then I, going back then, so I ran Natalie's Cakes as, and then finished my apprenticeship for Stephanie um, Alexander. And again, that was in her last years at Stephanie's and that was a tough job. Mm. Under Jeff Lindsay, mm. you did what you were told mm. and you just put your head down and stayed out of trouble. <laughs> You know, I still remember my first day they put me into the pastry section and the pastry chef went on holidays and she gave me a, a few hours rundown and I was only a third year apprentice and I had to run the pastry section. So it was... Pastry's the hardest. Oh my gosh. I, so I, there was this one classic day, right? Every Sunday we would cook centre table, which was like an antipasto, but Stephanie's version of it. And you would have to cook fresh sourdough baguettes every morning. And I'd never, ever cooked sourdough before so I'm following the recipe and I throw the starter in and I didn't keep some of the starter oh no (laughs) so I was it was a classic yeah I was one of those those chefs that made a lot of mistakes yeah to get never do that again yeah absolutely and, and would figure it out and I would I remember Jeff Lindsay coming in on the Monday and saying all right we've got to make sourdough today and I'm like oh yeah no problem and I get to the recipe and it says, I need 100 grams of, sta- of the starter. And he's like, where's the starter? And I'm like, that went in yesterday. <laughs> How long had, it, had they had the oh, starter? Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> now you can buy a starter you yeah, know, yeah. from a bakery. But back then, oh, he, I thought it was going to kill me. Yeah. yeah. He pretty much, you know, told Dude, me my life yeah. was over. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. You know, wow. one day he said, oh, you know, you've got to butcher a whole lamb. You're going on to the butchering section tomorrow. Um, figure it out. What? Figure it out? So I did. I, I went down to the local butcher mm. and I spent a whole day, on, I think it was on a Sunday, and I was starting on that section on a Monday, and I learned how to break down whole animals because I had no idea. Well, how would you? No. no you and, do they, and they don't teach you that? They do, but they're busy. Yeah. So yeah. there's not a lot of time. And but also I like to it, know before I start. At trade school, though? What they do, you? but nothing like that. No. No. Yeah. I mean, you learn your classics and your sources and things. Yeah. But, and that's where, where it's very interesting now stepping into a school and seeing these techniques that, you know, the students are learning and it's time to get modern. It's time to modern things up. So... Well, it's interesting now because I've spoken to chefs about the fact that, as you said, well, they don't have time mm. now, um, but they don't... I still love the people that are breaking down mm. animals and using all of yes. the animal or filleting fish and yes. all that stuff. But I think a lot of them, now that... Inspired in now the hours are regulated. Yeah, I know. They don't have time to pay no. people to do that. So they're they getting don't. it in and then it's a different quality. Oh, it's a totally different it? world of cooking now. Totally mm. different. I mean... I, I trained with chefs who, um, and I had, I had two of them in my cafe, so I went on to them to start up our kitchen table. I ran replete in Hawthorne to start with, um, and that was when breakfast was just starting to get, mm. it was happening. And I, I worked for um, Michelle and Justine were my, um, my boss at replete, and they, they were from um, New Zealand. They own Cremorne Bakery now. Mm. And she, she, she ran this amazing business. She's such a good businesswoman. And working for her was fantastic. Um, mm. We pretty much put breakfast on the map at that place. And um, did that for, I think I was there for nearly 10 years um, before I bought my business, our kitchen table, um, which I had for 16 years. 
Um, wow. And That's and one of the chefs, time. yeah, long time in business, yeah. very long time in business, business too, yeah. yeah. And you know, we didn't, we weren't whiz bang. Wow, here we are. We just chipped away. We just put our heads down and we just worked really hard. And we did good, simple, classic food. We cooked everything ourselves. Yeah. And getting back to trained chefs, um, you know, I had a chef, Glenn, who worked with me at Replete and at um, our kitchen table for almost the whole time. Um, he had that classic training. So we knew how to, you know, we, we could do anything. We could fix a split sauce. We can, we can bone out a chicken if the chickens come in and they're not boned out. Um, mm. We can do, you know, we can cook anything. Somebody asks us to cook something for a special catering job, we can do it. Um, and I think that's the difference in the chefs nowadays. They've got no idea because they buy no, stuff in. Right. Yeah. Um, and it must have been hard though going from well, a la carte or fine dining restaurants, yeah. and dinner food to because I think, and I think this is still what's happening now, is that people expect to pay a certain amount for breakfast. Yes. But you still have to provide them oh, with it's still excellent. Quality and interesting. That's right. So it's really interesting that you say that because when I left the food industry, I'd done a bit of cake, like not the food industry, when I left the um, fine dining sort of scene, which was really Stephanie's, and then I did a stint in London working at Sally Clark's, but that was starting to go into produce like Philippa's, Okay. you know? So that was where I turned, started seeing that I could go into other areas, which suited my style and personality, my creativity more, um, and the business side, you mm. know? I could see that fine dining, I mean, I just worked for Walter who'd closed his little restaurant down and opened up Walter's wine bar. Then I finished at Stephanie's and finished my apprenticeship at Stephanie's and she closed down. Mm. Restaurants were, stu- were struggling. Um, mm. Fine dining was, was expensive and mm. labour intensive and, and things were starting to change. People were spending almost just as much on breakfast and lunch and, and dinners were changing. Mm. So I saw this, but I also could see that you're still going to have to make chicken sandwiches in a yeah. cafe, you know, to make money. Because unfortunately, three quarters of Melbourne just want chicken sandwiches. They well, apparently all that Melbourne wants are sandwiches right now. So <laughs> how do sandwiches still keep on? I know. Because well, there's sandwich shop, shop, shops oh, open It's now, incredible. Then. It's incredible. And I, I, think, I think back to that turning point then, and it was like my husband, Kevin, who's a chef too, we used to talk about it because we both just love cooking we love interesting food but at replete we were restricted Mm. lucky we worked for um a passionate um the owners were very passionate about food and we could express ourselves in catering but in the actual cafe it was you know we were one of the first people to call you know corn fritters and hot cakes i think we won an award for the best breakfast in melbourne for like we had it for like eight years wow um but that's because it was new and different. And mm. now everybody does corn fritters. Everybody does hot cakes with lemon curd and strawberries. Um, you know, but back then it was very interesting. Mm. And we did, we talk about making that change and how a lot of chefs wouldn't go, we would have trouble recruiting and getting chefs to work for us that had quality training mm. because they just didn't think that cooking in cafes was special. There was a definite turning point a few years yes. ago where some of those fine dining, like there was a whole wave of They'd them. moved into, made, and, and yeah. then it became, and to me, I remember saying to someone, it's a bit like um, people used to think film actors were the, 
were the top kind of actor and the TV actors yes. weren't so good and then the film actors started going into TV. I felt like it was the same yes. switch where we all went, oh, okay, no, that's It's so true. <laughs> it's really interesting, the mentality now compared to 10 years ago. And that must be about sustainability too because you can't keep you up. You can't keep it up. Those As you get older, you certainly no, can't keep it up. That's right. Um, and also you don't need to. You can see that you can have a certain lifestyle. Like when I, when I bought our kitchen table, I remember my dad said to me, you got 10 days to get this place open. Otherwise, you get your $100 notes and start cutting them up. <laughs> wow. That's his mentality. And yeah. I still remember it. And, and he was right. Because we didn't have, like, we didn't do a business plan. We didn't, um, we just went, we can do it. We're going to do it. And we're just not going to overthink it. Mm. And you see so many business people, the people that want to go into, into cafes and businesses, they'll never do it because mm. they overthink it. And also, if you do the figures, it's a lot of hard work, not a lot of yeah. returns. So how did you get to the point where you, where you knew it was time to move on from that? Oh, well, when I was at Replete, I knew that we, Kevin and I ran the kitchen together. So we always worked as a husband and wife team, very, very, very small areas. It's amazing. <laughs> I know, I know. And even at Walters and Miriam Walters, he oh. was the head chef, I was the pastry chef. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So we worked for a long, we've worked maybe 25 years together That's in tight spaces yeah, as well. Wow. And it did, it became evident at Replete that we, we were very, he is like absolute perfectionist in the kitchen. He will not do, take any shortcuts, whereas I'm the money maker. I can churn out hundreds and hundreds of gingerbreads and shortbreads and make, you know, I could do thousands of them and make them look beautiful and they'll all sell. Mm. Whereas Kevin will do beautiful, intricate, gorgeous food for dinner parties, mm. and people will just go, "Wow, that's amazing!" Yeah. Um, so we were a good team. We we're a good combination. But I could start. I saw that we were starting to, you know, there's the line, don't cross it. That's my section. Don't come into my section, kind of thing. You know, because, you know, you're working all day together, and he was just annoying me because he's so messy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's normal, normal life. But we could see that, and I think this entrepreneurial side was coming out in me in replete where I pretty much was running the kitchen. We're pretty much doing everything for this business that sold for an amazing amount. And I thought I can do this for myself. Mm. Um, so I started looking, I found the premises again in the paper cafe for sale in East, in East Melbourne. There was only one that I knew of. Um, back then there was no thousands of cafes. Um, I knew it was in the suburbs, so it was a bit risky. Um, back then, suburbs were risky. We didn't have social media to advertise. Um, so you needed the, a bit of passing traffic. I knew it was surrounded by schools. Um, and I went, yeah, that's perfect. But they wanted too much for it. We couldn't afford it. We didn't have millions of dollars. We didn't have backers. Um, and I come from a very proud family where you do it on your own. You know, um, so I wasn't going to ask mum and dad to help me because I thought, well, you know, I want to, I want to do this myself. Mm. Um, so we we pretty much made an offer, and they said, no, nah, take a hike. And then a year later, it was still for sale, and the price dropped in mm. quarter. So we went in and we took it over within about a month, and we pretty much took it over and went oh my God, what have we done? Like we had no idea on the business side of things and the front of house side. We knew how to do, but like we didn't know really how to make coffee. Just <laughs> pretended that we yeah, knew yeah. what we were doing, you know, and we taught ourselves. Yeah. You know, um, we just had to wing it. We winged a lot of things back then. 
we didn't even know how to transfer our liquor license, you know, we just work, had to work it out. Mm. And I think when you, when you start at the bottom like that and you work your way up, um, yeah, you make mistakes, again, making loads of mistakes to work out what to do. We did our own books, we did everything ourselves. We renovated ourselves um, and we did it in 10 days, thanks Dad. Um, yeah. We did though, and we may not have done it with whiz bang amazing, but it was very rustic, it was very cosy and comfortable, and that's really to the credit of the cafe that we just sold. It, it, it became, you know, people loved that. They loved our home style cooking, they loved the feel when they came in. People used to say, I had a customer who invited me for dinner next week, and she said, I just miss, you know, it was like coming home when, we, oh, when I had yeah. breakfast there. I'd have the same thing and I'd see you and Kev hop into the kitchen, have a chat. You know, it was just, it's like coming home. Yeah. You know, her grandchildren, later in the years, we got to know them. You know, we got to know people and their families. We, we saw people coming into the cafe that would come and eat, bring their parents, and then they'd go into, you know, aged care facilities and they'd bring them for lunch yeah. and things like that. So it, so it was a real... It was a really beautiful, beautiful business. Yeah. And I miss that side of it. Um, but I don't miss the taxes, Joe. I don't miss the stress of um, cash flow in yeah. small business. And how did you go um, over the lockdown time? We absolutely loved lockdown. Oh. Um, with all due respect for people that yeah. struggled, yeah, of course. we absolutely loved it. We did so well. We, we, it gave us a little opportunity to... We're in an amazing position. So, you know, if you can picture East Malvern uh, Central Park, it was like um, a theme park over there. There was just so many people walking. It was so busy. Um, and you could see that in Melbourne. There were parts of Melbourne mm. that were stayed incredibly busy. We were very lucky. We stayed incredible. We were very, very busy. It was crazy. Mm. Um, but we also gave us an opportunity to look at the business. Luckily, we were already doing take-home food. We'd been doing take-home food for 15 years. Yeah. Um, and we just flew with it. Mm. We went, right, this is... People are just pulling out chicken soups. We would make litres and litres of chicken soups. Um, and we realised very quickly, because we, I think because we, we always, I think because we had to do everything ourselves in the early days, it wasn't hard for us to tighten things up, look at the business a bit closer and go, we're going to have to do everything ourselves to start with and just because we don't know what's ahead. So let's, we'll do, you know, we just pull everything back and see what happens and then we can look after all our staff basically and, and get them back in and figure out what we're going to do. So it used to, it used to, in the early days of COVID, it was just Kevin and I, Kevin out the front making coffee and myself, um, Daisy, our daughter, who would be homeschooling next to the coffee machine or in, in the kitchen with me. Um, so for the first few weeks, that's what we did. We just brought it all back. We did the washing at home. We, you know, we do the tea towels at home, things like that. We just didn't spend anything. Mm. We just kept everything very tight until we figured out what people wanted to buy. Mm. And it just took off. Within two weeks, all our staff were back. Wow. Um, and we had a plan. Yeah. And we also could afford, like you were saying, fair share. You know, we went, it's, you know, we're busy, but we're used to being really busy. So let's... Let's, you know, get in contact with some people like Fair Share. And we actually started supplying um, 400 meals a week to Fair Share. Wow. Which we would do in the cafe because you couldn't go on site. Um, and we would get the community to 
you know, they'd be like, well, what's happening over there? You know, why is all these, where are all these soups going? And like, oh, well, we're donating them to Fair Share. And, you know, we need some labels written. Do you want to write the labels? So there was this community spirit and we really involved people. A lot of older people um, helped us out that were bored and um, loved cooking, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so we started to see that we were going to be okay. And not only were we going to be okay, we were, financially it was incredible. Um, we were very lucky. Yeah. And I think that humbled us after COVID. We realised how volatile things were. And we'd had, you know, we, our cafe when we bought it, the first five years were unbelievably busy. And then all these cafes started opening up around yeah. us. And you're just competing. And it's stretched. You, you know, even though you do good things and people come back to you, you people try other places. Of course. And you're competing with so many places. Mm. And we just kept at it. We had to keep reinventing the menu. We had to keep keep at it, keep at it. But there were definitely years where we went, gee, this is getting harder and harder. The overheads are so expensive. You've got to pay so much for staff with very average skills mm. um, when you can do it yourself. Mm. So I think, I think that COVID came at a time when we were like, what, 13, 14 years into business then. And you start to sort of get a bit tired mm. and a bit not lazy but you know you haven't got your finger on the pulse as much and it was a big wake-up call and it was like well this is good let's look at it again you mm. know I mean my dad used to look at look at his P&Ls daily mm. and that certainly was not Kevin and I our, my, my forte was not that at all but mm. we were doing that in COVID and I think it's good for you to pull back a bit mm. and not take it for granted and it tightens things up and you look at it a little bit differently and then you go, I'm going to sell. Yeah. So. And then moving into a school, mm. was that... Was that a, it was not planned. No. <laughs> <laughs> it so was not planned. But again, um, we decided to sell the cafe after 16 years. Mm. I was, you know, I had ageing parents and I knew I needed to make a change. I actually had to move in with my mum who has dementia um, while my dad was in hospital with cancer. So it forced me to, I had to, to stop working and Kev ran the business and he had an offer while, I, while that happened, didn't even tell me. Um, and I came home from a week with mum, which is so difficult work, living with a parent with dementia. Um, I came home and Kev said, we've got an offer for the business and we're, we're selling, you need a break and I need a break, we need a change. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think that I needed Kev to just sort that yeah, out, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so we, we, were, we were made an offer and um, we then sold. Again, selling a business, like, I think I could absolutely sell anyone's business in Melbourne after what we went through with that sale. It was so stressful. Mm. So I, I think that there's all these other sides to owning restaurants and cafes that you have no idea about mm. and it can be incredibly stressful um, and I think that I'd love to be um, be there for people that are going through those stresses because I could definitely give them some good advice um, because we've been through it all yeah um, and anyway we you know we, we did settle eventually um, and it was not it wasn't like just a little cafe you know it had a liquor license catering it was it was a big business it was it, you know we had 10 full-timers um so there was a lot of organizing selling it um and then i was like what am i going to do now mm. <laughs> and i really had no idea like 
I would sit down with my 16-year-old and I, I said to Daisy, I haven't written a CV for 30 years. I don't even know how to do it, mm. you know? I mean, I can figure it out, but it's a very different world out mm. there. Am I going to stay in restaurants? It just didn't excite me working for someone else after working for no. myself for so long. So I thought, well, why not make a change? I loved, I've always loved the young kids in, at work. We always, we always we'd, we'd employ juniors and they would always be working in the kitchen and I loved teaching them. So I thought, I'm going to give something different a go. Mm. And my teenager helped me that, with that. Yeah. She would look through Seek for me and go, you can, you can do all these things, Mum. You don't realise running a business how many skills you've got. Mm. And that was a really good learning curve. And you just got to be brave and go for it. I saw the ad advertised for food studies and I thought, well, that's good. I know food. That's good. <laughs> As for the rest of it, I, you know, it was an assistance job, which is I knew would be, I'd probably do it with my eyes closed, you know, very easy. But I also knew it would be challenging, you know, working in the environment of a school. Mm. Um, and it definitely I found the first few months, because I got thrown into it, mm. I, I didn't sort of get shown much. So I got thrown into it and that, again, I'm used to that. Mm. So I work out things pretty quickly um, and systems. But it's been a very, very big change for me, um, very stressful the first few months. And then I started to relax and realise that I was actually quite good at it and I work really well with the, with Jenny, the teacher here. She's been amazing because she's got that teacher side and then I've got the prac side. Um, so really good combination. And then learning to work in with the students who I absolutely love. Yeah. It's the best part to teach young people to cook, to make omelets. I think I made, I made about 100 omelets in my first week just teaching students how to make an omelette. I mean, how fantastic to hear that they've gone home and made them at home. Absolutely. And that's what we need to be doing. We don't need to be teaching the white sauces and the brown sauces and blah, blah, blah. We need to be teaching interesting, healthy, you know, fun cooking at home. Well, I think um, I was speaking to Gabriel Gatti and he has a big thing. He thinks it's, it's every parent's responsibility to be cooking with their children. Yeah. And I think that um, there has been some generational gaps mm. because I think, you know, in some of the generations we've come through and food's been a lot easier to buy than to make. Yes, absolutely. And people are pressed for time. Yeah. So it's hard for people to pass those skills on. Mm. But I think that then breeds that, um, well, look at the awe that people have for MasterChef or any of these mm. cooking programs mm. because you know, people don't necessarily have those skills That's themselves. That's right, yes. And so I think, and there's a bit of a fear of mm. cooking and getting it wrong or whatever. Mm. And I, just yes. think, so I think it's great. And, I'm, and I just love when we came in with the Year 7s and they just did all that beautiful French food tasting and that was a... They were so into it. They loved yes, it. They and love I'm it. So they glad do love we did it. that. I'm so glad. But having too. the year eleven students talking to them about it as well, I was like, oh, I'm so glad that yes. there are students who are taking it through to VCE because it's oh, such a great subject. It is such a great subject. And it, it's really important too, and, yeah. and that knowledge that comes in behind it. So I'm really glad that you know. I hope that it picks up on the school again. I hope so too. Know. I think that Camberwell Girls has an opportunity to. Um, make it happen mm. and encourage it. I think this is the way things are going. Like we are, we have a lot of students that have, uh, you know, have different learning styles. Yes. And it's becoming more and more frequent. And I can tell you all those students are very comfortable down here. Yeah. They have a chance to shine and they, uh, the pressure's off a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
in a different way. I mean, of course, you know, you get to year 11 and 12 and you've still got all your, your food studies technical side. But as for the prac side, they just absolutely flourish and, and it's relax. it's so satisfying when yeah. you create something. And I think too, um, you know, when I was doing a PhD, I'd, I'd, I'd lived for a year in France. And I came back and I, um, and this was in the uh, 90s as well, and I just set up in Christchurch, I just set up my own um, dinner party thing where I'd go into people's houses right. and just do like a four-course French dinner yes. with no training. Oh my gosh, Joe, that's But fantastic. I just loved the food. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and, you know, people said it was good, but it was like, <laughs> yeah. now I just think, who did I think I was? But that compared to, like, all this reading and yes. studying and what do you actually have to show for, you know, like oh, all these absolutely. years of a PhD. Yeah. But when you sit... See people who are just loving the food you cook. It's so satisfying. Oh, it's so, so satisfying. These um, students would love that as oh, well. They, they love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would love to, um, you know, to teach the students to make ricotta rather than yes. buying ricotta. Oh, I would God. love those. They're, they're the opportunities we need. We need those sort of opportunities, which relates into science and, you know. Absolutely. But, um, oh, having... Joe Varghetto, I went um, to a restaurant that he had, and he just came out, he'd made it, and he just came out with this big bowl of warm ricotta oh, and just beautiful. a dollop in these yeah. noodles. Oh, it was we so never delicious. bought ricotta at our kitchen table in 16 years. We mm. made it ourselves because yeah. it was better, easy, yeah. and it lasts longer. We're always oh. throwing it out. Yeah. The, the commercial um, ricotta, as soon as you open it up, you've got it about five days. Yeah, yeah. You make ricotta, and it lasts two weeks. Mm. So we're, you know, we are with those classic training. We, you know, we know how to make everything, and I think it's it's being having the time to show students to do that. But not just students in a situation like Campbell Girls. It brings all departments together. It has the opportunity to bring departments together. That's right. Which I wouldn't have done if I hadn't have done the French thing that we did. Um, but I, I, I have to say, um, wouldn't it be great if we could actually get them cooking? you know, mm. making the crepes together. Well, that's right. I would have loved I that. I feel like that was another logistical... Yeah, well, that, yeah. <laughs> but in yeah. years to come, let's work towards that's Exactly, yeah. that's right. And even departments like you've got your professional services, your maintenance and your, your teaching and then your assistants, you've got all sorts of departments in a school and it brings people together. Yeah. Um, maybe instead of, you know, I mean, instead of people sitting having getting a lunch made for them, you know, we could... You know, doing small state, we could get have a cooking class down here. I think that's a great idea. Oh, I mean, well, it is would that just... possible? Because I, you know, it's definitely something to because look it, as I you say, it does bring people together. Yeah. And then you're making the food, and then you sit it down. Just and lines eat it. everyone it would be up. nice, yeah. And it yeah. also mixes people up. Yeah. Um, I did a class, uh, a Master Chef pancake class last week with um, one of the teachers, and we had a, we had a spare section, and I said to the teacher, "Come on, well, let's you and I, we'll." we'll into the competition as well <laughs> and I'll show you some things yeah. so it was it's fun and yeah, it lightens fun. things up and it, it brings people together mm. and I think that that that's very important in a school um is the look having a business where I I was down there working with all my staff yeah. and I think I've got a good knack of bringing people together and you sound like you're the same Joe. you know you just talk your way out you know into, <laughs> into things and you enjoy it you've yeah. got some passion and people at People just love passion. Mm. It can be about, it doesn't matter what it's about, but they get excited. It's good to get people excited. Yeah. It's too easy to see the negative things, so why not get excited about things? Absolutely. And that's what I hope to bring here. And slowly, yeah. slowly, you know, I feel like I'm getting there. Yeah. So it's a really big change, but it's a good change. So, yeah, 
that's that's Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you are very welcome. I've waffled on. Sorry, Joe. I loved it. <laughs> you better go and make your burgers. Oh, no, I better go and make your burgers. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Natalie Jefferson. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. You can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwithachef.com. The good thing about being a subscriber is I feel loved because I feel like there's maybe people reading it. (laughs) And the good thing for you is you get notified when new stories go up. I would love it if you told a friend about my chats. And of course, you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. And I'm also on Audible and Amazon podcasts. (laughs) Once again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. Et bon appétit.